Good morning, church on the move. Good to be good to be back, not just from last night, but uh, uh, back from we were here uh, about a year ago. And uh, it's just a treat to come here. We love your pastors. They are great. I, I think you know what you have as, as a pastor and how they care for you. And, and just I appreciate uh, the spirit of excellence that's on this couple, that's on this church. You see it when you walk in the doors. You see it in everything that you do. You guys are a good church. And the other thing I love that I notice when I walk in or walk out is there's so much life in that lobby, such community out there. And, and that means a lot. Not every church has that, uh, where people genuinely connect and, and care for each other. And that doesn't happen on accident. That's cultivated. And, but anyway, we're just glad to be back. We love you. And, and I appreciate my wife she, uh, coming with me. She always is such, just a, such a blessing to me. Uh, what I want to do this morning, I'm a, I'm a pastor and uh, I just wanted to, I, I, told, I told Pastor Marvin when I come, I don't want to come and be funny. I don't want to grab my best sermon that I, uh, that I have and just come down and, and preach that. But I want to deposit something. I want to leave something. And what I want to share this morning is a series that I'm getting ready to start in my church in the month of June. I don't get to preach this until June. Uh, but I've been so motivated by this and so inspired by this and, and so anxious to get to talk to my church about it. Uh, that I'm glad I didn't have to wait, that I can share it now. And uh, I want to talk about, as you can see the screen, tell the story. And when I talk about telling the story, obviously I'm talking about telling his story. See, we as the church have the greatest story that was ever told. And that's the story of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago was just Easter. With the opportunity to share that with a lot of people, and tell them that story. And we want to take advantage of every opportunity we have as an individual and as a church to tell that story. Now, here's how we need to tell the story. First of all, we need to tell it often. That means every opportunity, every open door, we need to use that open door and that opportunity to share Christ. Not only do we need to tell it often, but we need to tell it creatively, especially as a church. So I think the 11th commandment of the church should be, thou shalt never be boring. When you're telling the greatest story, we need to tell it with enthusiasm. We need to tell the story uh, with a great deal of passion. Not to just repeat the story, but passionately communicate that story. And then on a personal level, we need to tell it by just simply telling others, here's here's what Jesus means to me. See, you don't have to have a doctorate in, uh, in theology. You don't have to be an expert in Greek uh, language. You just have to be able to say, here's what Jesus means to me. Here's what he's done for me. My wife and I were talking on the way down, and, and you look at that. A lot of people say today, you know, we, we, have a, we have a society that basically their idea of God is, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I don't know. And people say, well, how do you tell a story that is so, people are just so anti-God? Things haven't changed. You look back in Paul's day when Paul shared the gospel in in Athens, 30,000 gods in Athens. And Paul just went in and told the story. See, if we tell the story, God makes the difference. It's not our responsibility to make everyone believe, but it is our responsibility to tell the story. What is the story? John 3, 16, we're going to put it up on the screen. And when we do, I'm going to ask you to read this with me. Will you do that? Can we just read this together? Because this is the story. Let's do it together. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Can we just go ahead and give God a praise this morning? Because isn't that an amazing verse? I mean, that verse is the gospel. Someone said that if you can believe that verse, that God so loved the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you can believe that verse, then any other scripture in the Bible should not be a stumbling stone. If you believe that God loved the world, we shouldn't have any problem believing that God parted the Red Sea. That's small stuff. Loving the world is kind of a big thing. In Luke chapter 15, you know the story. It's the story of the prodigal son. Let me just kind of remind you of that for just a moment. The certain man that had two sons, and as a friend of mine says, one of the sons went stupid. Amen. Just decided he's going to do his own thing his own way and runs off and, and spends his inheritance, ends up in a bad place. All of his friends just reject him, and he's, he's hit the bottom. Uh, he's, hit, he's just simply hit rock bottom. He ends up broke and broken. And he comes to the place, the Bible says that he came to himself, he had, a, he had an awakening of the brain cells, and he said, okay, I can never be a son again, but I think I'll go home, and at least I can be a servant in my father's house. And so he returns back home. And here's the good news, you can always come back to God. Isn't that comforting this morning? And I don't know where you are this morning or where you have been or what you have gone through, but maybe you feel that God is standoffish or God is not welcoming you. I just want to tell you this morning with the pastor's heart, you can always come back to God. You can always draw near to him. That when you hit rock bottom, guess what? God is waiting for you. And when you have no other place to run and no other place to go, God is waiting for you. And so this parable about the prodigal son isn't really what it's about at all. The story is not about the prodigal son, the runaway kid. The story is about the forgiving father. That's where the emphasis is. This is what what God did. Let me tell you two things about God. One, God is a father. And because he is a father, it means he has a father's love for you. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. God's not mad at you. God is mad about you. And so God loves you as a father would love you. And he's concerned about every aspect of your life. Think about this. If it touches you, it touches God. If it matters to you, it matters to God. He's concerned about every aspect of your life. And he loves you unconditionally. He loves you passionately. And he provides for you abundantly. And the second thing I would tell you about God is that he's forgiving. That's what this parable teaches us, that God is a forgiving God. 1 John 1, 9, every Christian ought to have that, that dog-eared in their Bible or highlighted on their, uh, on their iPad, uh, that John, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. So I want to take a moment and I want to unpack that thought about forgiveness. Someone once said that if you got into a contest with God to see who could sin the most and who could forgive the most, God's forgiveness would win every time. Now, that's a terrible way. That's a terrible philosophy. And I don't encourage you to live life that way. But I just say that because I want to illustrate how great God's grace is. There's nowhere you can go that you can escape God's grace. There's nothing you can do that God would say, I I, I won't forgive you for that. God's grace is an abundant grace. God forgives every time, right? I mean, we all know the saying, God's good some of the time, and some of the time, God is good. Amen. 
He's good all the time. Amen. God is good all the time. Now get this in your mind. Now our God is a big, big God. We have this ginormous God. I made that word up. We have this ginormous God. And he's a big, big God. And since God is a big, big God, then we should stay focused on the greatness of our God. How many of you this morning know some people that could really use some good news? Anybody? Follow me on this for just a moment. If you go to a good movie, when you leave the theater, you're thinking about, I need to tell my friend to come see this movie. It's really a good movie. If you go to a good restaurant, you're really quick to want to tell someone, you need to go check this place out because you want them to have the same experience that you had because it was a good experience, it was a great place, and, and you need to check it out. If you go somewhere on a good vacation or a day trip and, and you come back, you come back and you want to tell your friends, here's where we went, here's what we did, you should go too, you should go check it out. Well, since we know and we love this good, good God, this great big God, then the most natural thing in the world is for us to go to others and say, you need to check him out. Let me just tell you about him. This is the most amazing thing, and I want you to know what I know. I want to use these four chairs that we have set here, and it kind of describes where where we are in church oftentimes. When we come to church, we, we sit in one of these chairs. And first of all, primarily, one of three people, one of three groups that comes to church. And sometimes the chairs switch around, but pretty much you sit in the same chair. Some people, when they come to church, they sit in the worship chair. Because, man, that's what they love. They are passionate about worship. And they had this attitude, Pastor, we should worship more than 15 minutes. Come on, we should worship a lot, Pastor. We want to worship more. And we've got these worshipers that come, and they sit in the worship chair because they are passionate about worship. Now, that's a good thing. That's all right. But then we have a group, and and they sit in the discipleship chair. Because when they come to church, worship is okay, but it's just kind of something to get through. Just give me the word. I need a word. I need an instruction. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I don't need to do. Give me something. Come on, preacher. Let me have it. And there are people that just love the word of God. Worship's okay, but we love the word. Then you have the group that sit in the community chair. And what the community chair is, I come to church because this is my family. These are my friends. And I come here because this is where I get nourished. And this is where I just kind of have all my relations in life. And so we're either in the worship chair or the discipleship chair or the community chair. But sometimes we forget this chair, which is others' chair. Sometimes instead instead of going to the church, we go to me church. And we have, this, we have this idea of entitlement. We, we have this idea of consumer. I'm a consumer, so do everything for me. And we, we even use bad terminology when we say church membership because they're like, I'm a member and I have rights and things that I want to see happen. I don't like the music. I don't like, I, you know, here, here's how I think maybe we need to judge service. Sometimes when we get home and people say, well, how was church or what's going on at church? And it's either, well, you know, the music was good or... You know, we've had better, or it was, uh, it was too loud, or they don't do the songs that I like, or, or you know, the pastor, maybe he did a great job, or, or it wasn't really what I thought it was going to be, and, and I really wish he would have hit this more, and the temperature was okay, and the lights, I don't like the lights, and all of this stuff that we go through. Hey, can I just be honest? Let me tell you about my church. We got lights everywhere. 
I don't like them. I don't care. But you know what? The generation I'm trying to reach loves them. We do music that I'm not even crazy about, you know, and, and yet the people I'm trying to reach are. And see, I tell our people all the time, we refuse, I refuse to be a one-generation church. It's my responsibility right now to reach the next generation. But maybe here's how we need to come to church. Instead of looking at church and saying, how was church? How was the music? How was the worship? How was the pastor? Maybe we should say, how did I worship today? I mean, did I, did I lift my hands? Did, I, did people get blessed by watching me worship? Were they drawn in because of my heart and my focus on God? Did I love someone today? Did I smile at someone today? Was there something? Did I serve someone today? That's how we judge church. That's how we measure church. What kind of blessing was I today? What did I do to make a difference in someone else's life? So it's this other's chair. The chair for what I call the unchurched or for those that need to be rechurched. You know, they went to church and for some reason they, they fell out and went away, but they're precious to God. And, and man, how prime are they to come back because they know they've tasted of the heavenly. But we don't often think about this chair. And maybe because it's been so long since we've sat there that we simply forget. But let me just say this statement and let this be a walk away statement, a take home statement. An empty chair is kind of a big deal. An empty chair, it's kind of a big deal. Let that soak in for a minute. See, an empty chair is kind of a big deal. And let me show you why. If you have your outline there, uh, fill this in. If not, just write the word empty in a column here. And we're going to take each word and, and break it out, break it down, and, and show you why an empty chair matters. And next to the letter E, write the word eternity. Eternity is real. And we're getting closer to it each day. Eternity is a very real place. And what the church does, there's no other organization on the face of the earth like the church. No one does what we do. I mean, we're, we're, we're not a club. We're not like the PTA. We're not like the Lions Club. We're not, uh, we're not any type of club. What we do is life-changing, and it's for eternity, and it matters. And when I see an empty chair, I, I have to stop and think a moment about eternity because everyone on planet Earth is going to spend eternity somewhere. That when we die, we are either going to go into an eternity a, 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 with God or an eternity away from God. And we should be concerned about this. An empty chair is kind of a big deal. Next to the letter M, write me. What am I doing to fill this chair? What's my part? Am I doing my part? What am I doing to get someone here to sit in one of these seats so that their lives can be changed? Who am I investing in so that somewhere down the road I can invite them to come to church with me? Listen to these numbers. A recent survey by the Barna Group just this year concerning Easter said 80% of people would have gone, that they interviewed, would have gone to church on Easter if they would have been invited. 80% of the people that they interviewed said, we would have gone to church on Easter if we were were invited. But they also found out that only 2% of Christianity ever invites anyone to church. That's kind of eye-opening. When you think about this, that, that every year, and this is statistically proven out, every year 
Well, think about this. First of all, 80% of the churches in America are on decline. Every year, a church loses probably 10% of its membership. That means if you're a church of 500, then every year, you've got to add 50 people to your church just to break even. People turn over in churches. It changes all the time. So this is something that has to become a part of our culture that we're constantly, consistently looking out and, and loving people and caring about people and filling empty chairs because lives can be changed. Church changed us. Church means something to us. So who am I investing in? When I look at an empty chair, I have to reach and say, what, what am I doing to fill that chair? Next to the letter P, write the word purpose because this gives us a little bigger picture. Every person has a destiny. Every person has a reason. When I look at an empty chair, I, I think that maybe there's a person that is never going to fulfill their purpose, their, their God-given ability, their destiny, because we didn't get them in, into this church. That means there's going to be songs that aren't written, sermons that aren't preached. Things that people could, could, could do for Christ, but they never had the opportunity because we didn't do our part. To get them to sit in that chair. Destinies will never be fulfilled. Potentials will never be reached. Because an empty chair is kind of a big deal. Next to the letter T is the word tomorrow. Think of it this way. What will today's church look like tomorrow? As I said a moment ago, I don't want to be a one generation church. Do you realize this, that the church is always only one generation away from extinction? And that if we don't do our part by successfully passing the baton to the next generation, we have failed our generation. And if we're not continually reaching out to our youth and to our children or reaching out to the people around us, the church is always only one generation away. So we have this incredible responsibility to pass the baton to the next generation and to leave the church better then we found it. And then next to the letter Y. Write this. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God, my life is yours. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How do I make a difference for you? Meaning that we should be focused on doing God's will and God's plan. Now, let me, let me show you this. Here, here's what focusing on this chair will do. When you begin to focus on this chair, and you begin to think about others, and you begin to think about who can I bring in, how can I get someone to sit in this chair to fulfill this chair, it changes your whole concept of church. Tommy Barnett, a, a great soul winner, a great pastor, shared the story that he's always reaching out and adding new people to their church, doing big outreaches. And someone came to him once, and the church was growing and exploding. And, and she said to him, Pastor, I think our church is big enough. I mean, we can't keep up with everybody that's coming through the doors right now, and you just keep doing other things and pushing the church forward. I think our church is big enough. Then it wasn't but a few months later that she came to him and she said, Pastor Barnett, this morning, listen, my son's coming. And my son doesn't know Christ. And, and I, he just came in out of town. He agreed to go to church with me, Pastor. If you've ever preached a sermon, I want you to pour your heart out today because my son needs to know God. And Pastor Barnett said, I think our church is big enough. Wow. 
How many know we're never big enough? We're never the right size. Always reaching people. When you begin to focus on this chair, it changes how you view church. Because when you're bringing someone that you love or someone that you've been investing in or someone you've been talking to or someone that you invited, you get there, you start praying that morning for your church. And you're saying things like, Pastor, you're saying, God, please don't let Pastor try to be funny today. You know he's not. He thinks he is, but he's not. Dear God, please just let him stay focused today. <laughs> I'm talking about me, but they're thinking about you, Pastor. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> And if they have kids, you know what you're saying? Oh, God, today, let, let children's church be over the top. Let their kids come out of there just, just blown away by what happened in children's church. And if they have young people and teenagers, man, I pray that our teenagers are going to be friendly. I pray that when they come, our, our student pastor connects with them. I pray there's a connection. When you begin to think about this church, it revolutionizes the way that you look at church. When you begin to think about this chair, it changes the way you look at church, your view of church, your passion for church. It changes your prayer life. Because now it's personal. Now you're bringing someone in. Now you are fulfilling the great commission. Here's another example. There's a huge difference. Takeaway. When you have adults that go to Disneyland and kids that go to Disneyland, you interview them when they get back, you're going to get two different stories. When adults go to Disneyland, they tend to be pretty critical. When an adult gets back from Disneyland and they're telling the story, they're going to say things like, the lines are way too long. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And the price to get in, they are out of their ever-loving minds. And the food, it ain't that good, but it cost an arm and a leg. And I looked all, there's no nap land. <laughs> I've looked everywhere, there's nothing there. I mean, we tend to be a little bit cynical, a little bit skeptical, a little bit critical. But you interview a bunch of kids when they come back from Disneyland, it is a magical place like they've never seen before. It is the most amazing thing. And I think sometimes that's the difference between seasoned believers and churchgoers and new believers. Is that sometimes we get comfortable and we get set in and we don't realize just what we've got. I'm just telling you this morning, you are blessed. So there is the great commandment. And there is the great commission. Let me show you how they go together. The great commandment is this. The great commandment that Jesus gave to us was to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love others. That's it. That's the greatest commandment. He says, when you do that, all the Ten Commandments go away because they're fulfilled in this one commandment. Love God and love others. And if you love God and love others, the Ten Commandments just fall into place. There's no big deal. That's the great commandment. But then he says there's the great commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Now think about this. There there are sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of commission are the things that I do, the mistakes that I make. When I step out of bounds, when I miss the mark, that's a sin of commission. The sin of omission are things that I fail to do. I should have done it, but I didn't do it. And I said all that to, to ask this question. Is it a sin to not share Jesus and to not tell the story? Now, follow me here. Greg Laurie, in his book, Tell Someone, gives this example. 
He said, if you were to see a house on fire and you knew there were people in that house and you kept walking, would that be wrong? A number of years ago, church, we were pastoring, there was a fire that broke out in a house across the street. And someone came running in saying the house is on fire and, and uh, there were kids, that, there was a family that lived there and no one knew what was there. And so me and another man from our church, we raced across the street, got to the door of the house, went down to the basement, kicked in the door, and we tried to rush into the house to see. We were driven back by smoke and flames, just could not get through the door. And we found out if we backed off and, and, and caught our breath trying to look for another way to, to get in, that people were yelling, the kids are here, the kids are here, they're safe, they're safe. But the point is, we didn't have time to pray about it. We didn't have time to say, and you wouldn't either. You would have done the same thing. You wouldn't have stepped up and say, well, you know, let me just see how God feels about it. Let me pray about this. Let me just think, what should I do? There was a sense of urgency that said, if we're going to act, we have to act now. If we're going to do anything, we need to do it now. Keep in mind when I say, is it a sin? Sin means to miss the mark. When it comes to sharing our faith, most people immediately begin to get uncomfortable. See, we're not comfortable with the H word, hell. We don't talk about it in church, and, and we don't want to talk about hell in church because we might offend someone. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, and I realize that if we don't talk about hell in church, we might offend God. And that I am concerned about. I shared with you that statistic that 80% of the churches in America will not have one person saved this year. A couple of years ago, there was a story that made headlines all across America the story of a lion that was loose in the city of Milwaukee. Now, I don't know how it got loose. I think a storm had come through into the zoo, and there was a lion that was loose and, uh, through, after the carnage of the storm. And here's what that paper said. It was a story about a lion being loose, and the paper said that in a city of 600,000 people, everyone was on edge. Everyone was nervous. Everyone was very concerned. One lady said, I'm taking it very seriously. And I will not allow my three grandchildren to play outside. There was a man that was quoted, and he said, I'm afraid to go into my own backyard. It has a six-foot fence that could easily be jumped by this lion. Now, here's the purpose of this illustration, that if there were a lion that was loose in our streets and our, our neighborhoods attacking our children, we wouldn't be content to just say, well, okay, whatever. We would be proactive. We would be on the edge of our seats. We wouldn't sit back and, and say, let's let somebody else handle this. Do you know that reaching out to others is not the pastor's job, not just the pastor's job or the staff's job. It's our job. Think about this. Every soul in heaven. Let me say it this way. No one gets to heaven without the fingerprint of a man or woman on their life. No one goes to heaven without the influence of another man or woman on their life. That personal thumbprint, fingerprint. Maybe you shared Christ. Maybe you uh, uh, 
uh, prayed for someone. You know, I tell our people all the time, here's a great way. Pastor the people you work with. Pastor the people you work with. I mean, genuinely begin to care about them. See, you invest in someone, then you can invite someone. When you begin to invest and you genuinely concern and, and you're not just preaching at them, Jesus, but investing in them and praying for them. Knowing something about their life, knowing about the people in their life, praying for them when they're going to a surgery, praying for them when a loved one is sick, praying for them when they've had a financial setback, praying for them and just lifting them up and saying, I really care about you. And somewhere down the road, God's going to open a door where you'll have an opportunity to invite them to church. Invite, pastor the people in your neighborhood. Just be Jesus in your neighborhood and reach out to people and just begin to connect with them. See, I've, I've told our people this, is that here's the deal. If you, if you bring your unsaved loved ones to church, if you bring your unsaved friends to church, I'll lead them to the Lord for you. You just get them here, I'll lead them to the Lord. Not that I'm such a dynamic preacher, I just know the Holy Spirit. And if I just give an opportunity and I, I lead that prayer. and See, we try to create this culture, and I'm working on it too, Pastor. Creating this culture in our church. Every Sunday, almost every Sunday, almost every Sunday without fail, I give an altar call. Because I want people to know that no matter what Sunday you bring someone, whatever day you bring someone, they're going to have an opportunity to hear Christ. And everyone in my church basically can say the same prayer that I say. And I say the same prayer every time because if they ever have an opportunity to pray with someone, I want them to know by reflex how do you do it. So every week, almost verbatim, they can say that prayer with me. But it's creating that culture of saying, we, we don't want to be a church. I, I heard this illustration. Have you ever had an ingrown toenail? Oh, man. Because it's not natural. When things begin to grow inward, it becomes unhealthy. But if a church continues to grow outward, that's when it becomes healthy. When we get focused on ourselves and what we want and what we like, and I gave up a long, I gave up a long time ago about what I want in church. It's like I said a, a, a little while ago, I don't always like the music. I don't always like the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> but I've really tried to communicate that it's not what I want. I want your kids. I, I want, and, and we, we have this battle that we fight that, that continue trying to find that right mix because everyone's precious to God. But there's a generation that we have to be relevant to. There's a generation that we have to put ourselves in, in their seat. And we always think, you, you know what music we like? I don't like the music. You know what music we like? We like the music we heard when we got saved. That's what we like. That's real music, you know, and... When I got saved, those songs. It's about reaching this, this next generation, reaching people. Always thinking outward. Always thinking beyond, what do I want? God, how can you use me? How can I serve you? How can I do better? If you were to leave here today and you saw a penny on the sidewalk... You probably walk right by it and not even pick it up because it doesn't have any value. It's not worth the effort to stoop down and pick it up. But if you walked out of here today and you saw a $20 bill, there'd be a fight in the parking lot. Amen. 
Why? Because it has value. When we begin to see people through the eyes of God, this is why I say people need Jesus glasses. Do you know what glasses do besides make you incredibly sexy? <laughs> other, other than that, what they do is, is they reshape your vision. You look through them and they filter things and they cause you to see things differently. When we have Jesus glasses and we begin to see people through the eyes of God, we see that each person is valuable. You, you, you may just see an unruly kid that disrupts class, but God says, I see somebody that's a student pastor one day. See, we, we, may, we may see, we, we may see a, a mom or someone that we look down at and think, you know what, well, they've had a couple of abortions and men, their life just isn't together and just rough. But God looks at them and says, I, I see a woman's ministry leader. See what I'm saying? You look at somebody and maybe you see their, their alcoholism. Maybe you see their addiction. But God says, no, that's a pastor in the making. Amen. See, when we begin to see people through the eyes of God, it changes our perspective that they are valuable and that they matter to God in so many aspects of life. So let me close with this. The question is, why should I care? And the answer is because God cares. Let me share with you very quickly three things that Jesus said about witnessing. One, he said, each of us should tell the story. In fact, he said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are salt and you are light. And each of us should tell the story, our story. And we tell it with passion. We tell it with creativity. We tell it as often as we can what Jesus means to me. And when he says you're salt and when he says you're light, here's what he means. In the Middle East, back in, in Bible times, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have any way of preserving food. And so what they would do, they would pack it in salt. And what would happen is the salt would slow down the decay process. And God says, that's what you are. You are sprinkled out in the world. You are sprinkled out onto the workplace, into your neighborhood to stop the decaying process. You are there to be a light. And light always overcomes the darkness. We were listening to a Bible devotion on the way down yesterday. And I love this illustration that the men gave in this devotion, this uh, this, um, audio devotion. It's that light and darkness are opposite but not equal. Light. And dark are opposite but not equal. Light always overcomes the darkness. We're called to be light. Light illuminates, it reveals, it shines forth. Number two, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. Now, I was called on a testifying court one time, and, and the attorney set me down, and they prepped me for the, uh, for the conversation and, and, and what, was going to be, what was going to be going on. And they said, here's the deal. You're there to tell what you know. You've got what they want. And so you're in charge. You're not at their, um, I can't think of the word right now, but anyway, you're, 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 not at, you're not at their disadvantage. You're there to tell what you know. You're there to tell a story. Do you know that a witness is simply someone who tells what they know, what they've seen, and what they've experienced? You don't have to be the DA. You don't have to cross-examine somebody. You just have to say, can I just tell you what Jesus means to me? And three is we judge success by our obedience, not their decision. I may share Jesus a hundred times, and a hundred times they walk away. That's not my responsibility. I just planted a seed. I just loved on someone. Don't preach it, people. Just love on them. 
just be real. And, and before you, just invest in them so that you can somewhere down the road invite them. Begin to love them, love their kids. Begin to do acts of kindness for them, random, random acts of kindness. And then somewhere down the road, when the time is right, I promise you the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say they're ready. And you can invite them, come with me to church. So that's my heart today for my church, for your church. And, and I know this, this isn't a hard sell. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just saying it's time. Now's the time to do it. I don't think anyone here, I don't think there's a person in this room, you're a wonderful group of people that, that would sit back and say, I'm not going to do that. I just think it's time that the Holy Spirit is saying, this is the hour. This is the time. This is the emphasis of the church. So will you stand with me this morning, please?